Hi, everybody. Adam Cook from Campus Inc. in the NIL store. Want to say real quickly, thank you so much for listening and joining us on this journey. And as a reminder, if you ever need any custom merchandise, youth jerseys, camp t-shirts, whatever it may be, you can always find us at campus.inc. And of course, for all your NIL needs, nil.store. We're going to jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, what's going on? <laughs> what's good? Happy, uh, uh, happy recording day. We are a little behind, but we have an That's amazing guest today. We are a little behind um, because it's summer, but that's okay. <laughs> we have, uh, we're back and we're here and we've got some cool things that we're going to be covering. And I think we had one of the most fun podcasts today. She's she's a power hitter for sure. We had a great conversation. Amanda Kristovich from Front Office Sports. If you'd followed her writing over the last three years, probably more well-informed than probably 90% of the people on any of the college sports uh, topics. She is a fascinating person. Um, LA native, lives in New York City now. Um, she's a graduate of Georgetown. She graduated from Columbia School of Journalism. I mean, you talk about a power player in the space. She's She is uh, sharp. Sean, what yeah, was just your... extremely, extremely well respected in the space. Uh, for she, she mentioned she literally she started during COVID, just as we were going into COVID, and then obviously into NIL, um, and really some some awesome perspective on the recent stuff with EA Sports Gaming, as well as gender equity in the NIL space, some of the misconceptions that are going on in NIL, uh, and a lot of really really cool info uh, just about NIL in general. Adam, what was your favorite part? Man, if, if, if you listen for one thing in this episode, it's what, if she was the commissioner of the NCAA, what her hundred, first hundred days would look like. That's, that's crucial. Um, all right, let's get to the episode. Amanda, you've been a little busy the last couple of weeks. A little. <laughs> just a little bit? Just a little, <laughs> just a little. It's been eerily quiet so far on this Monday, which always makes me <laughs> a little nervous yeah, uncomfortable yeah um amanda you're coming you're, tomorrow you're, you're one of our favorite follows on twitter oh my goodness so, thank you so much um because you you have a candid way of covering nil with your own kind of opinions and they're fierce and bold and very spot on oh, <laughs> so um we'll, we'll get back into last week why don't you give us a little background on yourself background on myself okay yeah. um who is amanda i grew up in los angeles now i live in new york city which is probably why i have developed such bold and brash opinions. Um, <laughs> I went to Georgetown for undergrad, so I am a very suffering basketball fan these days, hoping things are going to turn around with the arrival of Ed Cooley. We'll see. And then I went to uh, Columbia Journalism School, which is how I landed in New York. And I've been working for front office sports since July of 2020. So coming up on three years, have always been like an obsessive sports fan but I really didn't get into college sports until I was in college. It was the right time, you know, when um, I got this job at FOS, we were, you know, gearing up for NIL. So I just kind of like dove in. And um, I don't think I have like not said the words NIL or athlete <laughs> 
promotion <laughs> any day, you know, in the past three years since I've gotten this job. So it's been a really fun experience so far. That's, did you did you ever expect that you would be covering something, you know, the, the NIL basically turned the industry on its head, right? Like what an opportunity to come out of school, get a job at FOS. Like what's the pace been like of covering a topic like college sports in the NIL era? I think the best way to describe it is... Um, Don't say wild, wild west. <laughs> You're not allowed to say wild. I don't think it's the wild west at all. I think it, yeah, at all. Anyway, but um, another tangent. But yes, three. I think on the job was the week that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten decided to shut down their football seasons. So I didn't know anyone because it was the middle of COVID. So I couldn't network in person. Right. I literally was like scouring the internet for the email addresses of the Power Five PR representatives. Like being like, hey, like my name's Amanda. I cover you now. Can you please send me your press <laughs> conference information? Like, please, please, please. And like sitting on my couch, you know, in I lived in the financial district of Manhattan at the time. I had a roommate. I lived in a room with a fake wall. Like it was, you know, <laughs> and I'm just like getting on the press conference with Kevin Warren and just like trying to learn, like catching up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that is a good the pace has not really slowed since then. It's since it, then. It, looking back and like how everything, but particularly like media and the pivot to these like virtual press release, it all just feels like a fever dream of like we there was some like sideshow that was happening in all of our realities. And yeah. uh I dream it, about it, work way too much. So <laughs> yeah. I don't even know uh, what's real and what isn't sometimes. <laughs> Oh, 100%. I love it. Amanda, well, you, you obviously cover NIL. Seems like it's like almost exclusively. Did they really let you lean into that? Was that your want and wish? Like, tell us about how that evolved because I think there's, there's something special there. So I have been interested in like the way that social media in particular can be a revenue driver for young athletes um, since like before the NIL era. Like I remember talking to my boss when I was an intern in the Georgetown Athletic Department in like 2018, 2019 about there was no NIL at the time, but he was like, we need to grow these kids social media following because it's going to be good for them, et cetera, et cetera. So I've always been interested in that. And so when I got to front office sports, I said, hey, like this is going to be one of the top business stories just in all of sports because it's a completely new industry and how often does that come around and there are so many angles um that you could take from the political perspective of all the bills and you know congressional hearings things like that to gender equity you know i wrote like probably like 15 articles before july 1st of 2021 even came around about how female athletes were going to be making more than anybody thought they would and to this day i still get people surprised about that um, <laughs> which is annoying, but, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, they were like, they gave me a lot of latitude, you know, they just, they encouraged me to hit it at every angle in the beginning of the job. It was like COVID and the rise of NIL, you know, and then it kind of shifted to like NIL and then like gender equity and basketball and then the Alston case. And mm -hmm. now it's like NIL, all the other athlete compensation cases, obviously EA college football, um, 
I'm never going to let go of gender equity. I'm going to be screaming about it from the rooftops until the day I die. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the evolution of the beat. It's funny what you mentioned when you when you speak about your forecast of, of female athletes in the space. We were at a convention down at NACTA in Orlando, uh, mm-hmm. and there was an administrator who was talking about how do we get what can we show athletes? How can we get them more involved on social? And, and I spoke up and I said, guys, have your male athletes look at what your female athletes are doing on social because we've seen it from a merchandise standpoint. The female athletes are crushing them, crushing mm-hmm. them. Um, and we're fortunate to have Angel Reese and Flage from LSU on, on our, on our, in our database. And the way that they've harnessed um, NIL and, and building beyond just what they're as basketball players, but as entire brands, has been incredible to witness. Yeah, I mean, and I was just gonna say like, um, I I spoke to like professor shortly before NIL started who talked about like, I guess like the sociological reason behind that is like female athletes have always had to market themselves and tell their own stories because no one ever paid attention to them. So they literally like showed up, this generation in particular that has social media literacy showed up already knowing how to market themselves, how to story tell, just because they've never had the choice not to. Um, so it was like they were kind of ahead in that, like learning how to build your brand um, as opposed to, you know, the men's basketball and football players. And even I would say to the extent, like a lot of baseball and like hockey players, like on the men's side, never really had to explain to anybody why they should pay attention to them. So they don't know how. One of your articles that came out at the beginning of the month is I actually have it bookmarked. It's one of my, my favorite reads. It's you love, you love the women's college world series. You just might not know it yet. And yes. uh, you know, that's, that's a big part of just kind of being able to activate and understand what the whole ecosystem looks like, right? When, when you can actually dive into some of these sports and the communities and the way that the fan base is so rabid and then the actual on field or on court product is really exciting and compelling and then you marry that with athletes who understand the fan engagement from a personal brand side it's so riveting and and you see that kind of you know bear itself out on on the nil landscape with you know virginia tech softball oklahoma this year you know you watch for uh, uh florida state or you know pretty much anybody across the acc it is an an awesome thing to just take in as a fan And just to say about like the softball thing, like I personally grew up playing baseball with boys. I never wanted to play Mm -hmm. softball. I tried to play baseball in high school and they wouldn't let me even like try out, even though all the guys on my little league team ended up on the team. Um, We didn't have a very good or high school baseball team. But like, so like (laughs) I always look back and think that if softball was treated the way that it was, that it is now, when I was a kid, I would have been way more interested in in playing, I had really no understanding. Honestly, like I was one of those people that was like, I don't get softball. Like, why can't we just play baseball? And to an extent, like I'll always have like a sort of soft spot for like women in baseball and stuff. But like I myself, it's not, you know, I'm not like a cheerleader for softball. Like I was convinced, you know, um, by the way that it was marketed, put on TV, the ratings, the quality on the field. Like, yeah. So just wanted to put that out there. You know, it's, it wasn't an unbiased opinion, you know, what I mean? <laughs> you know, like, uh, an effect that we don't think about maybe like when everyone hears NIL, it's like, Oh, you know, athletes making money, but there's really a part where it's creating more visibility for hometown heroes 
mm-hmm. connecting more athletes to youth sports, right? Because like if a fourth grader in softball gets, you know, uh, a Virginia Tech softball jersey with someone's name they might not know, that kid is like, oh my God, I have a Virginia Tech softball jersey and they're going to wear it to school all the time. And I think of like the random jerseys my mom got me from TJ Maxx, like I adored those, right? And there, there's a part of NIL, I think I saw it on an, like it was a picture. It's like, instead of, I don't want to be like, it was like, I want to be like Steph Curry and it had like crossed out. It was like, I want to be like Grace Berger or something. I don't know exactly who it was. Um, but that is an effect of NIL that I think a lot of people overlook. I guess um, you've obviously reported on every single part of this industry. What has been your least favorite part to cover about <laughs> NIL? We can talk about favorites, but like what has been the part or what message, what has been the most frustrating thing for you? Um, having to fact check all of the like fear mongering that the NCA and like athletic department officials have thrown out about NIL about how, you know, before it started about how there were concerns that it was going to like, you know, cause athletic departments to lose money um, because they would be competing with their athletes for sponsorship dollars, you know, that it was only going to benefit the, the, the top players that it was going to turn into pay for play. And it's like, Oh, like it kind of did turn into pay for play. That's my second, like on, you know, like I guess my second least favorite thing to cover is like collectives and pay for play. Like I'm so sick of that narrative. Like, yeah, obviously like collectives have to an extent turned into pay for play. And yet it's not like it hasn't changed who's at the top. It hasn't like, you know what I mean? Like the transfer portal has changed who is at the top way more than NIL, in my opinion. So those are the things that frustrate me. Yeah. Um, and, and go, go ahead. Steven. No, no, I was going to say like, you talked about like legacy industry myths or legacy license holders or legacy veterans. How much of your time is spent convincing them versus attracting new and educating a new audience to NIL, you know, like, do you feel like your yeah? Do you feel like your job is more convincing the old or really educating and, and empowering like new followers of NIL? I think I've been pleasantly surprised by folks who have been in the space for a long time who have like reached out to me and said, "Hey, like your reporting is sort of you know I've learned new things, right? Like that's all that's always my goal is to just I want to learn something new and then I want my readers to learn something new. But honestly, like if I'm being really candid, I in the, again, with COVID, it was hard to network. A lot of the quote unquote old guard, they weren't picking up my phone calls. Like they didn't want to talk to me. So a lot of my earlier sources were people who had a bit of a more radical view, who felt like I, you know, they were the more accessible ones, you know, who thought deeply, who had maybe a more theoretical approach, a lot of lawyers, a lot of professors, you know, folks from smaller athletic departments. Um, And so I thought, you know, some of the like who's who of the sort of outside advocacy world, um, some of the early NIL folks, like that was interesting to me. And so honestly, like, I'm not really sure like who my following is 100% comprised of now. (laughs) Uh, Definitely leans like a little more progressive in the like athlete compensation space. And I think part of that is because of like who was picking up my phone calls when I started this job. 
What do you think remains the biggest misconception for the general public when it comes to NIL? The biggest misconception is that it's a bad thing. Do you think it's still a misconception? Is it still rampant? Like the the NIL flat earthers still exist? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And I I talk to, you know, I live in New York City. I talk to people, you know, like at bars and restaurants. I meet friends of friends, like people who don't work in sports, people who don't work in NIL, just the average person who like watches college football with a beer on Saturday at the bar and maybe Mm -hmm. doesn't think much about it. You know, they're like, oh yeah, that NIL, they're getting, players are getting paid. And then like people who are, or at least appear like relatively liberal, like politically or whatever, frankly, will say things like, yeah, like, I don't think they should get paid. You know, I was talking to somebody the the other day who was like, I don't think the kids should get paid more than $500 for being in the EA college football game. And I'm like, do you even know like what you're saying? You know what I mean? Like it's (laughs) really interesting how ingrained the concept of amateurism is, even with the most sort of like casual college football fans and college basketball fans. I'm framing framing my question here because there's a lot there's a lot that's been going on. Obviously, we saw a, a pretty big contingent that went to Washington and was advocating to Congress for some things, right? And and while that's happening, we see SAC, which is you know Student Athlete Advisory Committee, supposedly write a letter, supposedly. kind of taking the <laughs> same. Sorry, was that was that, was that too much? <laughs> um, taking you know. It's, uh, seemingly the exact same approach that the NCAA is taking, which when you look at the rest of the conversation, it doesn't really seem like those two things are aligned. You wrote a pretty good article. Is that how much do you think that some of that conversation is feeding this like, oh, it's a bad thing because these athletes are saying that that employment is 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 a bad thing. Like just maybe talk through some of what you you touched on in that article. Yeah, I think the interesting thing that I learned in reporting that article is that at least with the student athlete advisory committees, it's sort of self-selecting in terms of like the ideology of the athletes. Like it's like whoever is in SAC and then graduates, like they're the one who picks like the next person in SAC, right? So obviously beliefs are gonna be aligned. And then, you know, these kids come in and the NCAA officials, the conference officials, or like the school officials who are helping facilitate these meetings are feeding them these pro NCAA opinions. And they're saying like, hey, we're here to protect you. We're here to, you know, this is what's gonna happen, right? If athletes are deemed employees, these are all the like, one of the lawyers in a a federal case that I cover calls it the parade of horribles that will happen if you're like deemed an employee, right? And they have nobody to tell them that that's not true. So they believe that, right? And that's, so as far as that SAC letter went, I wouldn't be surprised if like the division one SAC does actually believe the, I, the general idea that athletes shouldn't be employees, right? Like there was a, a current athlete who spoke in Washington a couple of weeks ago at, you know, the, the conference that Arizona state put on. She was like, I don't want us to be employees because I think that, you know, being an athlete and a student is like a good thing. And like having those two things is together, you know, I wouldn't want to separate them. And in my head, I was like, well, don't you have friends who like have work study? Like just because you have a job while you're in college doesn't mean you're no longer a student. And then she was talking about like, yeah, you know, it would be 
like very time consuming. And I'm like, I'm sorry, is your sport not already time consuming? Are you not already going over like the NCAA rule? You know, you know what I mean? So I just feel like I think there's a gamut of what athletes think, right? Even like within the power five, but the long, you know, the short answer is I think a lot of them are are more liberal than like that sack letter suggested. Yeah. So like, there's a lot of times you talk about like market value right? Or below market value. You wrote an article about our competition who won't be named and how much they pay athletes for jerseys. But then you're also covering, uh, which caused a lot of problems because we were just paying them what we thought was what other college students can make when they sell to their fraternities and sororities. So we're like, sweet. And it's been a, it's been a, it's been a really eye-opening experience, let me put it that way. And you're obviously covering the EA Sports, you know, thing. Mm-hmm. What do you think market value is for a college athlete? How do you how do you think about that, right? Like is there a line you draw? Is there an amount? Is it a time thing? Like what do you what do you think market value looks like? Well, I think it's less about the like the dollar amount and more about the structure of the deal is what I feel like my reporting has suggested. So my understanding of the Jersey sale conundrum was that the percentage that the athletes were being offered of the full price of the Jersey was a much smaller percentage than they would have been offered in a lot of other deals, deals that currently exist in the college sports landscape, but also in the pros. Similarly for EA sports, college football, EA told the athletic, they didn't tell me this, that they hadn't specified the dollar amount yet. The reported number is $500 per athlete, right? And then no royalties. The $500 per athlete is what everyone's focusing on. EA has not disputed that they're not going to be offering royalties. And that's where the below fair market value comes from, because it's industry standard in any video game that you're offering royalties to people who are represented in the game and that's where the money is right so if you're never i mean this game could be sold for the next 10 years right theoretically there would be annual additions so maybe the older versions would become less popular but like you know you get checks right if you're on a royalties like you get checks for presumably the rest of your life right and I, and i think what's interesting is ea like how do we do this at scale right the nfl is very much like this many teams, this many athletes, it's very boxed. You get into college sports and it's like, oh, this is this is a lot more than what we are used to. How yeah. the heck? And, and I think they default to, because it's hard, we just won't do it, right? And that's, I think, where it comes down to like, you know, now there's a one team versus TBG lawsuit going on, right? And there's a lot of irony behind that. So it's like everyone... <laughs> and it's funny because like everyone's arguing over putting their hands out but they keep forgetting about the athlete like what Mm -hmm. about them right absolutely what what do you think will happen to the ea sports both like the lawsuit side and what athletes are making do you think this just means that sean can't play this video game for five more years like (laughs) you know (laughs) well i may have a development I need to check with my lawyers, my lawyers, (laughs) my sources who are lawyers on, you know, like what their interpretation of some of the more like recent um, 
you know, lawsuit documents are. EA claims they're all good to go for next summer. I don't think I believe that. Of course they would. Uh, I don't think I believe that. But like, <laughs> I think, I think to me, what it's going to depend on is how many athletes choose to opt into the deal when it is presented to them. And I'm really looking forward to if and when, if when they do get offered the deal and it's public, right? Everyone's going to know for sure exactly what they're going to be offered. Mm -hmm. If that's a better deal than what's being reported now and EA turns around and says, see, this is what we were doing all along. Mm -hmm. Hmm, okay. You know what? We'll let it go. Maybe, you know, I'm curious to see if this public pressure pushes them to offer a better deal than the reports are suggesting a and B I'm curious to see if enough athletes decide that they'd rather hold out because, you know, I mean, look, I get it. Like, would you rather have $500 or zero? I'd rather have hundred, right? So how many of them are even aware that they could mm -hmm. be making more if they hold out? It's very difficult to organize college football players to make a collective choice. So, well, and you know, it, if EA it, gets it's, even- It's hard, it's hard enough to get them to practice. Right, it's like if EA <laughs> gets like 50% or 60% of them to opt in to use their NIL, who cares about the other 40%? You know, they'll just use generic avatars. Right. It's it's interesting that the the that this conversation and this type of, you know, kind of like strategic or or philosophical battle is happening at the college level because a lot of it maps up, you know, not, nothing is new under the sun, right? It's all just remixes. A lot of this maps up to to what happened with with Live and PGA, right? Like oh, hold out, hold out, hold out. No, 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 we're going to go and, and you know, move to live and get paid. Oh, we'll never do that. And then all of a sudden, what was it, a year down down the line, all of a sudden everybody that, you know, trusted one side ends up kind of, not kind of, 100% screwed. Um, how much of like that kind of example or what's happening at the pro level do you think is really informing some of these college athletes? How much are they paying attention to like, Oh, they really don't, you know, give to what's about what happens to me at the end of the day. It's really hard to say because even the ones who do have an opinion and are coming to that conclusion, they're not going to, they're not going to say it. They are like losing your scholarship is losing everything. So they don't want to speak out the few that do, um, you know, they may be some of the bigger players, like bigger names. They may not be. It's like, I don't even know. <laughs> Again, my concern is like, I don't even know how many of them are saying to themselves, oh, like maybe there is a better. There are certain news or deal than this $500 offer, right? I don't know who they read, like what news they read, but I think that outlets where if they are reading those news outlets, they're thinking, oh yeah, sounds good. And if they're reading others, they're like, ooh, maybe these people, well, if they're reading my article, they're probably thinking. I was about thinking, to say, hope, they're hopefully they're reading thinking, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they're probably thinking like, who are all these people who are like claiming to represent our interests and advocate on our behalf? And I've never heard of them. I have no idea who they are. They've never reached out to me. Theoretically, I could opt in for them to work for me at my school, but like, shouldn't I also have an agent? Shouldn't, you know what I mean? Um, so 
I'd like to think they're wondering to themselves, like, you know, this is why unions exist. Like, this is like a business world problem. This is not just like a college sports problem. It's like, no one's going to advocate for your interests other than you, period, full stop. That's just life. So I'm hoping that more of them are going to start to realize that. It's going to be interesting kind of if it's campus to campus, like if one school, all of their athletes don't opt in and it's like, interesting i wonder what classroom they were in when someone came and told them and they all looked around and goes you signing that nah or you're in another classroom where and that's the whole part of this whole like opting in i found it really interesting last year i got a text from an athlete who were doing you know all of their stuff and he sends me a picture of a shirt on a on we i've never seen it before he goes what the hell is this who's selling my stuff and i was like i'm sorry man you opted into your 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 GLA, right? It's like how how do I get out of that? I'm like, go talk to your you know whatever. But like, mm-hmm. you just don't know what they're being told behind closed doors, and it's their first day of practice, and it's like, hey everyone, we need to sign this stuff. Go for it. Like, and you're gonna just, make money. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, you're gonna make money, and it's like, wait, I'm making thirty two dollars and sixty cents every quarter. Mm-hmm. Well, right. And then, you know, uh, this wasn't something that I reported. I forget who did, but there's this question of like the avatars, they are not going to have any control over what their avatar looks like. That would be a problem for me. I've had avatars made of me and I'm like, nope. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, in, in the pros, do they? Like they're signing away their rights and they don't even know. Yeah. And, and that's the whole part of like name, image, and likeness is like, it's your name, image, and likeness. Oh, I'm going to sign this sheet and you can do whatever you want with me. was having a really interesting conversation with um, an athletic director uh, just probably two weeks ago. And and I think there's a conversation where people say, well, you're, you're getting paid for it. Don't worry about it. But the flip side that people I don't think understand is this conversation was around uh, a, a, a gymnast and goes in and sees stuff for sale. And it was a picture that somebody had taken of her doing a particular movement. And what somebody may not recognize is that she was doing it wrong. It was a photo, some photo that was taken an event and it was, it was not the right movement. And she got marked down. It was a terrible score, a low moment for her in her career. Mm. And because she opted into this thing, somebody got a hold of that photo, turned it in merchandise, and now it's on apparel and out there for the whole world to see and that's the thing that people don't understand is like it's not just oh your face is up for sale it's your identity it's your craft it's who you are and if it's not being represented in a genuine way that you can have some control over it it goes so much deeper than just getting paid and that's why it's so critical for us right guys we have athlete buy-in on every piece of merchandise we put out one they're going to love what we're putting out. But two, they're going to be bought in when they're marketing it as well. Uh, and it's so critically important. I want to ask you, Amanda, uh, I, we were down at NACTA. I, just, uh, I know you're, we have about five more minutes left with you and appreciate your time. Charlie Baker spoke down there, NCAA president, and he mentioned um, he had been to all these different schools, all these different conferences. And he kind of like at the side of his mouth, he, he mentioned he hadn't spoken to a single athlete who was in favor of being an employee. What do you make of that comment? And I find it hard to believe that not one athlete would be interested in that, but I don't know. What do you make of that? It's really easy to lie, especially if you're a politician. That's not like my opinion. That's like the opinion of all journalists, right? Like when you go to journalism school, 
they te- they you know what they say to you they're like if your mother says she loves you find another source check it out like you know what i mean it's like oh yeah like i i could say that like you know my grandma is like the queen of england like you know what i mean i just like don't that doesn't mean anything to me what he's saying because there there is literal like i literally know athletes on twitter who like don't <laughs> believe that so even if he's telling the truth it's like well what athletes are being trotted out to meet nca president charlie baker we want the athletes who are not gonna you you see what i'm saying so even if that's the case the schools might be self-selecting the athletes right and also how is he just what is he just going to basketball practice and saying hey who wants to be an employee of their university and they're all like we don't know like what are you talking about like i just need to go to the dining hall and get like chicken fingers you know what i mean like that's what i would have been doing so i think uh, <laughs> and, and know, then the what... thing is 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 maybe he says well here so there are six terrible things that are going to happen to you if you're an employee do you want that it's like he could have framed the question that way too but think, to me i think it's like, one of those yeah i think it's really a question is like does the ncaa want what's best for the athletes and or do they want what's easiest to still exist, right? Like, do they tr- are they educators? Are they life like? Do they truly want what is best for an eighteen to twenty two year old? Yeah, and, and I, go ahead. No, no, and it's like go ahead. I want you to answer, and then I got got one more for you. Go for it. Yeah, I mean, I I think that there it's hard because. We talk about the NCA as like this big entity, right? This like nameless, faceless, like, you know, boogeyman. I, there are so many people who work in that office who like really do care so deeply mm-hmm. about the athletes yep. and also people who are trying to clean up a mess that they didn't make, particularly like on the gender equity side, like all the women's basketball folks had to answer for inequities that came out of issues they didn't create. And that, like, you know, so I try, like, you got to have empathy for that. Um, but I yeah. think in, by and large on the business side of the NCAA, there's a, there's, there's like a crisis, an identity crisis because they all got into this because they wanted to work in sports and they wanted to be educators, but man, the checks are nice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, um, I think it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, because like, the NCAA's legal opinions may not be the opinions of like the people who go into that office every day, but that's what is going to keep them from being able to sustain that business model. You see what I'm saying? So it's kind of hard to answer that question. Yeah. Okay. If you were the commissioner of the NCAA, <laughs> how would you change NIL? Like what, what would be your first three or four things you would do? That's I, I don't, I, I ask- don't, I don't no no but like I don't know if there's another individual that has covered every angle of NIL like put a put a top 15 people in the world that has covered it since day 1 inside out legal athlete side perspectives you've seen it all um I think that's why it's interesting right like I'd probably have like Mitt Winter 
as like number two. And Vince, <laughs> but, one of my, my best like expert sources. Like I've he's learned. Awesome. Yeah, he's like our favorite internet friend. I, I love Mitt. Like I, I want to like, give him a, Mitt. Mitt is like one Mitt. of everyone's. Yeah, those. Yeah, I, yeah. I love great... talking to lawyers and professors. They're like my favorite people in the industry. To talk yeah. To. So yeah. so what would you? What would be your first three or four things? Like your first hundred days in office. What are the first couple of things that you would do? <sighs> But like, I wouldn't do it. I, I'm not even sure. And I would be the one of those top three things, honestly. Hmm. Okay. I think thing number one is accepting the fact that is like, get these lawsuits dismissed, like accepting the fact that like college athletes should probably be employees. So let's, let's just figure out how that's going to work. Let's, let's, let's work with the schools. Let's work with the, the advocates, the courts, let's figure out where we're drawing the line there let's let's just make it let's make it work because it's gonna happen right that's thing number one thing number two is we need to completely revamp and make sure that like all the revenue streams are gonna allow for gender equity because they don't currently thing number three um is health and safety we need to completely overhaul the way that healthcare is considered in the NCAA. Um, I understand there are liability issues. They don't want to be liable for concussions, whatever, but it's like the NCAA is behind the NFL and how they treat concussions. Okay. Like, and the NFL isn't exactly like a beacon of, of hope in that department. <laughs> so, you know, um, and then, yeah, as far as NIL goes, like um, the thing that I'm concerned about is athletes getting taken advantage of. I don't really care about competitive equity. I don't care, you know, because Alabama's going to Alabama. Like, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So mm. I care about who are these agents? Are there deals that athletes aren't getting? You know, like, like what is the what are the structures that we can put in place? Like, register, an agent registry, that sort of thing, that are going to protect the 18 to 22-year-olds and not competitive equity and, like, the business model and, you know, making it life easier for the coaches. You know what I mean? Those are my things. Man, it, it. You, you talk about being able to ask a question to the right person. That is it. And I'm smiling <laughs> not not because of how poor the NCAA's uh, concussion protocol is, but I, I just love the context of, of, look, if you're willing to go to Congress and fight battles to stop athletes from getting paid, you know, the perspective of you should go and fight for health and safety. You should go and fight for gender yeah. equity as well. I, why I love is that. there no national, why is there no national health and safety requirement? That's something that the transformation committee worked on in division one. And, you know, they're, they're making incremental improvements. I don't understand what the point of the NCAA is if it's not to keep players safe. You, you can't argue with that you, at all. You might be there one day, Amanda. Yeah. You might Absolutely be up there. Not. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> not. You know what? Well, it's so much easier to sit in my room in New York and tell you what I think they should do. Like, it's not like their jobs are easy, okay? Also, yes. like, I'm not... Yeah. Not a politician. I would well, but th then there's going to be a uh, uh, there's going to be a young Amanda graduating from journalism school, <laughs> yes. hitting you yeah. up. <laughs> All right, Adam, what do you got? I love it. We got our our final question. We love to to ask our our guests, uh, Amanda. This is the NIL show, and so we got to ask you, what is your go to NIL restaurant deal? Who are you signing an NIL restaurant deal with today? Like if I'm the player? Oh yeah. Oh, I am, man, this is such a basic, okay. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple. 
I'll give you a couple. The first one is I am the queen of 2 a.m. McDonald's. So like, I know, you know, Mickey D's is the big corporate, whatever, but like, man, <laughs> I love my double quarter pounders. Um, and I have like a million selfies of just like me and the cheeseburger at two o'clock in the morning. QPC, um, love it. And then the other thing is there is this Italian restaurant. Well, maybe I wouldn't want to do an NIL deal with them because I wouldn't want other to know about <laughs> I don't know, but there's this there's an Italian restaurant near my apartment that um, I can only go with my parents because of the price point, but it is the <laughs> most fabulous Italian food I've ever had, not in Italy. Um, and so I would literally like lay down in front of the street for the people who cook for me there. <laughs> I, I love it. The, the dichotomy awesome. of Amanda, the, the 2 a.m. McDonald's and in, in the top end uh, Italian, New York Italian. I love it. Well, those restaurants, you know where to find her. Amanda Christovich, S-O-F-O-S. Um, yes. Send her the deal. She, she's going to push it out. What what a great conversation. Man, we're so grateful for your time. Um, like we mentioned, we love following you and your journey and your writing and your opinions. Oh, so keep up so the good much. work. I've loved this conversation. We'll, we'll be sure to keep watching you closely. You have to come back and, and give us an update on, on some of yeah, these uh, we need developments to make this, here in the future. Uh, every six months, just uh, we just want to hear like you riff. It is really cool to hear you just riff on this because... Oh, thank you. you My friends it. at dinner on Friday nights don't necessarily agree. Like, yeah. Same with our say, yeah, same with our wives. Yeah, yeah, yeah our wives. I felt that. <laughs> yeah. that. That's why we're all friends and Sean's my neighbor and Adam was in my wedding and uh, <laughs> they don't want us to talk about it. So uh, that's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Amanda Kristovich from Fun Office Sports. I appreciate the time. I'm Adam. That's Sean and Steven. That means this is another episode of the NIL Show. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everyone. Adam Cook from Campus Inc. in the NIL Store. Just wanted to say thanks again for listening and joining us on this journey. And as a reminder, if you ever need any teamware, custom merchandise, rec or youth league jerseys, uh, fraternity and sorority wear, or company merchandise, we're always here for you. You can find us at campus.inc. And, of course, for all your NIL needs, nil.store.